0: What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt and this week's edition of Rabbit Hole Recap. It's your boy Marty here. Uh, after a long week, it's been a long week for me in particular. Uh, I, got a, I got a bout of the stomach flu earlier, or excuse me, uh, food poisoning earlier this week. It was pretty terrible. Uh, very unpleasant experience, Matt. Matt uh, was a journeyman this week, traveled to Canada and back. Made it all the way back to New York for this recording. It's been a long week, Matt.
1: I actually uh, rush-shipped a microphone to Canada, and it cost me uh, $66 in, uh, sh- into shipping into Bumblefuck Canada, and then we cut our ship sh- trip short anyway, so then I put it in my car and drove down <laughs> an hour recording here anyway.
0: Well, high-time preference move, you know, you'll, you'll think about that and, uh, and adjust accordingly going forward.
1: I love our freaks. It was worth it. Yeah. We're going to use it in the future anyway.
0: Yeah, we, are, we will use it. We are talking about it. very. We're getting high-tech here at uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, in 2019 that's our that's our motto here um before we get high high tech or jump into the topics of the day this episode of rabbit hole recap was brought to you by BlockFi. you freaks already know about BlockFi. uh if you're uh looking to take out a, a loan backed by crypto collateral BlockFi is there for you Uh, They're helping people avoid having to sell their crypto to pay for things like taxes or credit card debt, student loan debt, whatever it may be, as largest crypto to USD lender in the US. They pride themselves on their ability to provide crypto investors with the ability to pay off high cost debt without having to sell your crypto. To top it off, interest paid on BlockFi loans can be written off. You heard that correctly. Interest paid on BlockFi loans can be written off, reducing your tax burden even further. It's tax season. The government shut down. We may get lucky this year we don 't know, but that options' there in case the government ever opens back up so go visit blockfi dot slash tales from the crypt to learn more about using crypto without having to sell they got that special deal for you twenty five dollars of crypto collateral added to loans below ten thousand and fifty dollars of collateral added to loans above ten thousand matt it's been a busy week we've got a lot to talk about. first topic of the week, uh, something I wrote about today
1: date and price
0: uh, date and price today is couldn't tell you. January 10th, I believe. January yeah, it's 10th. January
1: 10th, Marty. We couldn't tell you.
0: And uh, we're on a different website here. I have Bitcoinity up right now just to check price. Uh, actually, you know what? We're going to get a bit stamp. So use TradeBlock. Yeah, we're back on TradeBlock. We're going to use the TradeBlock index, the XBX index from here on out. It's January 10th, 2019, year of our Lord. The price is $3,633. 93 cents. Perfectly divisible by three right now. Freaking me out a little bit. Um and that is on bitfinex Uh but yeah, a lot of talk about this week in particular. Um what we're gonna start out with something I wrote in the Bent today, uh the the growing theme of deplatforming and uh having these content creators and uh social media companies uh at large that are getting deplatformed, sort of turn to Bitcoin's been a growing theme. Uh, One thing I'm worried about is confusion. A lot of these people turning to Bitcoin and quote-unquote crypto for their answers. I hope uh, they get some good advisors out there. It seems like Gab.com in particular has good advisors. They seem to be Bitcoin maximalists and actually just sent out a huge email to 850,000 Gab subscribers uh, enticing them to buy Bitcoin, which is pretty huge. Uh, Showing them ways uh, to buy Bitcoin, where to buy Bitcoin, and, and why it may be important and their particular framing is uh, instead of Bitcoin as sound money, is Bitcoin as a uh, free speech money, which uh, which people are, are taking a like to on crypto Twitter in particular.
1: Uh, so first off, Gab is, a, is like a Twitter competitor. Yes. And with a free speech focus, uh, it's, it's centralized just like Twitter, but they're very free speech focused and they have a monetization element that's different than Twitter where you can pay for premium services and also the people that pay for premium services can lock certain tweets and you can at o- certain
0: gabs content whatever it is
1: and yeah. and you can only unlock them if you pay microtransactions to unlock them and then gab takes a cut and then the content creator gets a cut so when they got deplatformed from the you know all the the major financial institutions all blocked their payments um, because there's been all this controversy there. They needed a new payment method. So it's important for them to educate their users how to buy and spend Bitcoin because otherwise their monetization strategy goes out the window, right? And like the main There's a use case here now that if you're a Gab user and you want to use the premium services, you have to buy Bitcoin and send
0: it to them. What do you think about all the haters out there calling Gab out for using or uh advising users to use centralized services like Cash App or or other centralized exchanges.
1: You know, I think they're the it's the easiest way. The easiest way to buy Bitcoin as an American right now is Cash App. Uh it has more downloads than Venmo. It's a very simple way to onboard and it's even though even though Gab was blocked by the same financial institutions um and Cash App recently blocked their founder's account, uh, Andrew Torba. It's a lot less likely that they're gonna block all the individual users that use it. It's a large amount of people. You said the mailing list was like eight hundred thousand people or something.
0: Eight hundred and fifty thousand, I believe. Insane.
1: So it's a so we can cross that bridge if it comes to it, but it's you know, Coinbase blocked them, uh cash app blocked them but it's a it's a little bit different because cash app doesn't even let them sell so it wasn't like gab was selling their bitcoin through cash app it's just a way to buy mm-hmm. and it's a lot harder to block all the individual users and they probably won't do it there's probably not the will to do it but if that happens then you know you we move to the next step
0: yeah exactly no but it's um it's very interesting to see this these sort of worlds colliding we will use a, a seinfeld quote here there's uh there's definitely worlds colliding right now with the the niche bitcoin world and uh sort of your uh, quote unquote taboo I don't consider them taboo but a lot of people in the mainstream would consider them taboo content creators um yes gab definitely does come with uh the vitriol of of uh people in the alt-right and they do have ardent nazis on the platform I do not agree with any of them obviously um but they are bastions of free speech in in a time where it's badly needed I would argue and I think uh It will be interesting to see how these people uh, receive Bitcoin, how they approach it and and whether or not uh, we as a Bitcoin quote unquote community are are able to to equip them with the knowledge needed in in a timely manner.
1: I mean, it's coming at the same time that uh, platforms like Patreon are also blocking people on the on the right in the political spectrum in America and it's a perfect use case for bitcoin you know it's it's educating all of these people why bitcoin exists in the first place and it just goes with what we've said a lot where you know the governments and the financial institutions are they're the best advertisers of bitcoin like when paypal blocks your account like it's immediately obvious to you why bitcoin exists yeah
0: and so let's talk about the, the particular framing. Bitcoin is free speech versus maybe Bitcoin is sound money. Do you think that's maybe a more advantageous uh, sort of first push to give somebody into Bitcoin? He's speechless.
1: I, I do like that. I do like that phrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, It's one of the reasons why I like the censorship resistance uh, phrasing as well, because... When in America, at least, it makes a lot of sense because we have the Constitution. So free speech is protected. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even our courts have said that that money is speech and it's protected. That's why we have unlimited anonymous donations to political candidates. Citizens United case.
0: Yeah. And then beyond that, they've also ruled that that code is speech as well, which Bitcoin is arguably software at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. So it all comes together It's a confluence. Right. So free speech money that works. You know, it's Bitcoin. Call it what you want to call it. I like that branding. The branding works. I think Gab is doing a great job at promoting it. They have users that have an immediate need for it. And they have an immediate need for it. And it turns out that because Gab is is censored on the sell side, that they're actually forced to create this closed loop, which is what we've always wanted for like the longest time. You want You want the services that accept Bitcoin. The 2013 move was merchants accepting Bitcoin, but they were all cashing out to fiat. Yeah,
0: they're getting BitPay, commerce, or whatever, and cashing out the fiat right away or something the
1: like that. The 2018 move is only using merchants that keep their Bitcoin. And Gab is a perfect example of that. Like, Gab will pay for their hosting, presumably, and all their web hosting and their employees' salaries and everything directly in Bitcoin, and it'll be a closed loop.
0: Yeah. No, that's interesting. And that's actually... Um, One thing, actually, this is sort of tangential to that point, but one thing I wanted to touch on in the Ben today is that we do have to be cognizant of the different ways in which Bitcoin can be blocked. So, in the same issue of the Ben today, sort of, there are two stories going on in uh, parallel. Excuse me, Uh, this Gab deplatforming, moving to Bitcoin, but then at the same time, uh, I brought up the, the the headline at Samurai. Was involved in this weekend where Google, the Google Play Store, made them uh, disable certain functionalities within the Samurai Wallet. Uh, I believe one of their functionalities that allowed them to sh- like shut off the SIM card remotely, some SMS functionalities, and then some stealth mode functionalities that people in, say, Venezuela uh, can really use right now. Um, so beyond uh, just censorship at like a payment process processor level. And an on-ramp level, there are these app stores where people da- trying to download apps to utilize Bitcoin, uh, that's also sort of a weak point. So that's also something to be cognizant of as we're building out this infrastructure and this industry is how can we make it so like a Google Play or an iOS store c- cannot cannot censor these apps.
1: I mean, we didn't get it, the first iPhone Bitcoin wallet wasn't approved until either 2015 or 2016 they were super slow originally they banned all of them uh and then so that so this is just more of that i feel like well
0: i don't even say what is more of that i think it's more specific like more specific to the use case like like specific voices getting deplatformed on on certain platforms like specific use cases of this app are saying hey you can offer a bitcoin wallet but we don't like we don't want to allow you to offer these functionalities um, I'm not sure if it was a, a foul swoop by Google play. They did this to a lot of apps and uh, samurai wallet has to sort of go through like a side channel and work out their case, uh, sort of separately. But, uh, it I mean, seems like, a, like an attack vector to me.
1: I don't think it's definitely an attack vector. I, I think it's way more, you know, these walled gardens will always be, um, issues for us to break into. You want more open systems. The thing that's nice about Android is that you can sideload it. You can use an alternative app store. Do a lot of people do that? No, I do that. More people will do it if they have to do it as things get banned. I mean, the big one was Fortnite, which is one of the most famous, you know, one of the most popular games right now. Um, they just skipped the Google App Store. You have to go to Fortnite's website to download it. And why did they do that? Because they don't want to pay Google the 30% cut of the of the app store, right? So they're educating... All these young people about how to sideload APKs, sideload the application files, and I think that trend will hopefully continue. Um, That's not the case on Apple though, where it's like a complete, a complete. You have to go through
0: their their app store.
1: The other thing I would say is, um, I mean, I I think people should probably it, it was from a privacy point of view. And a security point of view, it'd probably be better to download Samurai in the first place from an F-Droid, which is an open source app store for Android or like directly from their GitHub um, in terms of you can't inspect the source code of anything that comes in through Google Play Store. So it's kind of a blessing in disguise. And then the second thing is I'm not sure if it's as sinister as it seems at first glance because these features are awesome of Samurai but they're kind of hacky, you know, like, does, does Google want an app locking SIM cards? Does a do they want them playing with the dialer? So if you put in a code into the, into the phone app, you know, the app opens and stuff like those are kind of in the wrong hands. That could be like a spyware type of thing going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I personally am hoping that it just happens to be that they got hit in this sweeping wave to try and make, you know, Google's stuck in this situation where Apple's app store is a lot safer because it has a lot more restrictions. And Google has always been open, way more open, um, probably a lot because they're, they're more inept in terms of the moderation there. But you have a lot of apps that are, you know, like the flashlight app that steals all your contacts and stuff, right? So mm-hmm. they're probably trying to clean that up. And, and Samurai got hit in the crossfire would be my
0: guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's what I was trying to allude to earlier. It was like a foul swoop action. That makes but sense. They're
1: definitely an attack vector. They're yeah. a central point of failure. They can they could censor us, and you know you want stuff like the Prism phone and stuff that are more open.
0: Yeah, and this led to a conversation between me, you and I and Telegram today, just a personal DM. Or like my biggest worry for Bitcoin's long-term adoption, and mass adoption, is apathy, and for mass adoption and for it to be as robust and strong as possible, I would argue that we need people to start worrying and care about using services like F-Droid, like we just described, and these decentralized services and staying away from centralized services to a certain extent for certain apps, uh, particularly in and around Bitcoin. Um, so that's what we... Get, so we just wanted to bring that up. Like, So that's my biggest fear in the long term is just apathy. People just do not feel the need to to make these changes.
1: Right, and we said the the negative... Uh, The negative example that would make you really uh, worried would be the Snowden leaks because we had the Snowden leaks. And meanwhile, most people, they were massive, massive uh, info dumps where we found out all this spying was going on. Most people haven't switched to encrypted messengers. People are installing wiretaps in their homes with Amazon Alexas and Google Homes. And
0: And Nest, now they have cameras too. Yeah, like like
1: people are apathetic by design. Like we were talking about the, the voting Um, voting percentages, you know, 70% of people in America don't vote in every election. Like if, if you counted that, then no one would win. Right. People are just naturally apathetic. But then the opposite example is like in Venezuela, like Venezuelans Venezuelans aren't apathetic anymore because they have no choice. You know, their livelihood is at risk. So you need something like a really severe event, not just a Snowden leak. It needs to be things that actually risk people's livelihood and then. Hopefully, that'll be enough to make them, you know, realize what's important, realize their privacy is important, realize their sovereignty is important. Yeah.
0: Do you think it has to get like that's then that's like that's what it, like sort of bummed me out this afternoon. I was like, does it have to get to a point where there's like a a paradigm shifting world event that makes people like shook to their core with like, holy shit, I should rethink the way I'm operating completely. Um, I would hope it doesn't have to get to that point, but it does. Like like I said, the apathy's My biggest worry and just like seems up to this point, it may uh, uh, like these hard uh, events may need to happen to to force people to change their mind. Um,
1: I think you can get like gradual improvements without it. Mm -hmm. But the majority will never. If you're comfortable, you get complacent, right? Like if your life is like pretty good and you're not, you know, you're not you don't get worried about these things. You're not actually going to try and change anything. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it should be it should be interesting to to watch play out here.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see the yellow vest. We'll see if the uh, the reported potential bank run that they're going to try to do on Saturday comes to fruition, uh, and we'll see what c- type of chaos, if any, that incites uh, in France in particular.
1: Yeah, I mean, France is known. They always protest. They're really good at protesting. Yeah, really good. Um, so I would say, like, as a people, they're probably less apathetic, right? But but the same thing with the yellow vest, right? Like, they had to get pushed to the limit, mm-hmm. right? Like, most of those people have no money, you know? Their livelihood is completely at risk, and they have no other option, right? So so that's that's the situation where you actually get change. You get, I mean, we talk about it specifically in the Bitcoin world, right? Like no one is going to uh, stop investing in altcoins and, you know, like specifically like really, really bad altcoins and tokens and stuff in a bull market because the money is going crazy, right? But when when their livelihoods put at risk, when they lose 90% of their value, 98% of their value, like then they start changing their mind, right? All of a Mm -hmm. sudden you have all these people that were ardent multi-coiners that, you know, sound like, your your normal Bitcoin Maximus
0: yeah no that's a very good point that's a very good analogy I like that actually um, moving on though uh, I guess yeah let's start 10 years today's a 10-year anniversary of Hal Finney's running Bitcoin the goat Bitcoin tweet R.I.P. R.I.P. Hal I can't wait to unfreeze your ass bro
1: it's our third 10th birthday for Bitcoin this year
0: yeah that's the uh, that's one thing I think we have to come to consensus moving forward uh, when do we celebrate the uh, 31st. October 31st, uh, January 3rd or January 9th.
1: Just celebrate them all.
0: Yeah. I had fun. Fun celebration. We had fun last week. Thank you, Freaks, for coming out last week, by the way. Any of you guys have made it to, to Rise, New York, here in the city. It was a great time.
1: Yeah, we threw our own Bitcoin birthday. That was a lot of fun.
0: It was. It was. Um, so shout out, Hal. True pioneer in the space. If you Freaks have not uh, gone to org or the early uh, uh cryptography email uh mailing list and red hell's work definitely go do that um highly recommended he was putting out fud uh years before anybody was even thinking about it uh in today's world
1: as as in he was di- he was disproving the fud yes, yes putting out fud fires how wasn't flooding bitcoin no. 10 years ago he was doing the exact opposite
0: Yeah, he was destroying
1: FUD before it even came up. And famously, he's the number two Bitcoin user after Satoshi.
0: First person to receive a Bitcoin transaction outside of a Coinbase reward. Bang, bang. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So shout out, Hal. Uh, Next, Zap. Looks like Jack Mahler. I think it's tonight. Is it tonight? Did you read that thread? Yeah, I did. Badass. I think it might be tonight. Is it tonight or Saturday?
1: I wouldn't be surprised if it's tonight because it's the 10th, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, so, yeah. so tonight in Chicago, uh, our good friend Jack Maulers, shout out Jack, he was on Tales from the Crypt interview series, go check that out. One of your best episodes. Oh, thank you. Uh, Jack led that episode. Uh, tonight he is debuting uh, proof of sale system at a bar in Chicago. Point of sale. Point of sale. When I say proof of sale?
1: It's like proof of stake yeah. mixed with point of sale. <laughs>
0: point of sale. Uh, point of sale system. Ah, uh, completely driven by Bitcoin. I believe it has a node running in it. Uh, and completely driven by Lightning, Lightning and Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, he he teased the UX uh, on Twitter. Looks very sleek, very cool. I
1: guess it runs on like an iPad that the waitress walks around. The bartender walks around with. Yeah. They just click the button for whatever you order. It's just really seamless. They have no control of the like the the bar owner has control of the keys. But the actual, like, uh, waitress or bartender, like, can't spend any of the funds or anything. Their, their unit is just receive only.
0: Yeah, they can only make invoices. Um, no, no, it's a, it's a proven, uh, I don't even want to say prototype, it's a proven app at this point that this can work. Uh, I, I don't think the, the restaurant is only accepting Bitcoin and Lightning transactions, but um, it will be available, and the, and the UX seemed pretty impeccable.
1: I mean, it's a test run, and the idea is that the way he has it set up is it's super easy for these places to implement. So that's you know part of the beauty of it is that you can just test it for you know a night. Like there's no way you can like test a credit card system for a night. That takes a ma- major investment in
0: contracts and stuff. Right. Yeah. For just shits and gigs, if you want to see if uh, maybe worthwhile, the software is going to be out there. I believe there's a hardware component as well. I
1: isn't it like I think it just runs on like iPad, right?
0: But I think he. I think Android he. I think he said they have a node set up at each location. Cool. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll link to the thread. Yeah, we will in the show notes. Um, so check that out. Um, and and
1: just just to add on top, like I feel like bars um, are a natural adoption point for Bitcoin because bars in in general like cash. They like cash way more than they like credit cards. Credit cards are like a whole mess for them.
0: That and it's a good conversation starter at a bar. You know. Exactly. It's a lot. Of, I gave a lot of Bitcoin out of bars back in the day. I was giving a lot of people, a lot of people $5 worth of Bitcoin at bars back in the day.
1: It's that alcohol effect. Yeah. Um, and they all lost it.
0: Not all of them. I have friends, I have friends hit me up. you are like, dude, that $5 is worth a good amount now. I owe you dinner.
1: Yeah, I had both ways. I had people hit me up during the, the run in 2017. They were like, I just have no idea where that wallet is. <laughs> I kind of vaguely remember you shilling it to me and sending me some. And it's gone for good.
0: Don't do that as often anymore. I should get back to doing that. Or not. Eh.
1: No, it's always good. I think it's it's a good way. People, the easiest way for someone to learn is to send them $5 and be like, you know, figure out how to spend that.
0: Yeah, that is true. Um, Yeah, so speaking of exchanges that give people Bitcoin Gemini, we spoke about BitMEX's uh, publicity stunt in the Times of London last week when we last met. Uh, Since then, Gemini has come out with a huge... Uh, on-the-ground campaign here, in New York City in particular. Uh, crypto needs rules. Matt, what are your thoughts?
1: Revolutions need rules. Revolutions need rules. I, there's never been a revolution that had rules before. <laughs> <laughs> I just seems really out of touch. Uh, I don't really, you know, the crypto word is, I hate that word too. So that being front and center kind of bothers me. Uh, I did, I did see two good takes, on twitter about it the one is that uh they knew it would brew controversy in the bitcoin community so yes. we gave it a ton of publicity on twitter we're yes. giving it publicity right now on the podcast i just think
0: zach prince pointed this out from blockfi sponsor of the show um ceo of blockfi called that out he said he was on the subway he was taking pictures He's like i know everybody's shitting on it but everybody's talking about it like everybody on the subway that he was on he said was talking about it
1: yeah exactly so controversy is publicity nonetheless and then the second thing is you know, the Winklevoss twins own Gemini and their play this whole time has been the ETF. And the reason they created Gemini in the first place was because the ETF stalled and they needed... They the One of the main reasons why the ETF kept getting disapproved was because... Disapproved was because how do you price it? Like, how do you decide what the Bitcoin price is at any given time? And is, is that a proper price? Is that really what Bitcoin's worth? So they were like, we'll create a whole exchange so that the market on our exchange can then set the price. Remember they had the wink Dex first, mm-hmm. which like combined multiple different exchanges. And then the feds were like, no, that's not, that's not enough. So then they were like, we'll build our own exchange. So this could kind of be a nod to the regulators. Cause they know they're watching, right? Like, look, we're going so hard on, on regul regulatory compliance that we're willing to do this huge ad spend saying as much, right?
0: Yeah. They bought a fucking bus and drove it around the city. Did was
1: that their bus, or did they? Did, was it, that wasn't like a commuter bus or anything, right? It might
0: have been. I don't know. I'm not positive. I would imagine.
1: Um, I figured they just, you know, did one of those silk-screened ad runs on buses because you see those sometimes.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, the the picture I saw looked like the whole bus was plastered with the ad campaign. It
1: looked like it was almost painted, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw that one, yeah. too. It was like a blacked-out bus. It
0: looked like they took it to Pimp My Rides to get pimped up with some ad campaign.
1: Just around, driving around throwing Satoshis to people right <laughs> out the window.
0: Wait, first give me your name, I'll throw you a Satoshi.
1: <laughs> Just follow this KYC approval procedure,
0: and then I'll give you $5. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then... Going on from there, I wrote about it yesterday. There's a lot of great content uh, in Bitcoin, in particular. Crypto Twitter has been a vapid wasteland of, of vitriol recently, but I've been able to wade through the bullshit. Uh, there was some signal through the noise this week. And one of them, in particular, was Coin Metrics piece. Uh, they broke, uh, or they didn't break into. They they broke down uh, the Coinbase input data. Uh, all like the, the historical Coinbase data in the Bitcoin blockchain to sort of decipher uh, the 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 uh, breakdown of pools that have one Bitcoin over time, and it it proved that I mean if we have to assume that the Bitcoin mining pools are writing uh, these Coinbase messages uh, and not trying to deceive people, but it seems as if uh, Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin mining pools in particular are Viciously competitive.
1: So, just to be clear here, you're not talking about the exchange run by Brian no, Armstrong.
0: No, so there's in Bitcoin. Whenever a block is created, the miner that mines the block can uh, there's there's a Coinbase output, uh, and they can input a message into that Coinbase, and that will get transmitted to the network.
1: Right, and that's where Coinbase took their name from, which is extremely confusing. Just like how Blockchain.info took Blockchain. Yes, um, and now they have Blockchain.com, which is annoying. Uh, That so 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 basically a miner can voluntarily say, I mine this block. And that's how we know. They can say
0: whatever. Satoshi used the Coinbase to write uh, the Times Times of London banks on the second or chancellor on the second ballot to the bank.
1: Right. So but it's it's a user input. So they can put whatever they want there and historically they they put you know, we mine this and it's like kind of like advertising, but also it's like a voluntary thing for the network, so you have to keep in mind, like they could even
0: write somebody else's name.
1: Yeah, they could put a different pool. Or one of the things he noticed is the unknown amount went up. So the amount of miners that aren't listing anything in the Coinbase transi- Coinbase has 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 gone up yeah. tremendously. I think it's like twenty five percent now or something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, another good point that was brought up in the Coin Metrics piece is that uh, the were uh, the. Um, The friendliness of miners more recently to sort of announce which blocks they mine, the pools in particular, may uh, have been because of last year's fork wars and sort of the signaling around that. And that was sort of important at that time to sort of gauge interest of the pools in particular and what they were thinking. So that may not be the norm going forward. It may just be during these times of strife when we're trying to figure out what to do and there's uh, not consensus around how we're going to proceed. Maybe that's when miners become more vocal.
1: Yeah, I mean I just I think the key here is you should take it all with a grain of salt. I mean if I was a miner, I would just be fucking around all day. Just like switching which pool I am and going, Oh, I'm now I'm unknown, you know, now I'm bit main, you know, it's just go all over the place. Right. But um yeah, so just take it with a grain of salt. But Bitcoin mining pools are more distributed than they've ever been. Bitcoin mining is more distributed than they've ever been. And hopefully if better hash comes to fruition, like the actual power of the individual pool operator because the thing is people see these pools they think these are monolithic entities but they're made up of many different miners around the world like you could be a miner in new hampshire and you could be mining with ant pool in china you know that doesn't mean that all the miners are over in china
0: yeah exactly
1: but they don't have as as a, a pool user you don't have any control of like what transactions go into the block building the blocks and stuff like that the pool operator has control so there's like a soft check there that the the miners can leave the pools um if they think the pool operator is misbehaving but it's a very soft check and they can only do it after the miners misbehave after the pool's misbehave the pool operators with better hash the actual miners get to construct the blocks and, and and choose how that works so it takes out way it takes out a ton of power from the actual pool operators
0: yeah so right now the pool operator serves two function like you said the block construction the block template they decide how it's templated and then They divvy up the reward once blocks are mined, uh, commensurate with hash rate contributed. Uh, Better hash, yes, would separate those two functions where individual miners would be able to construct a block template and decide how their blocks are templated, uh, and then all the block or the pool operator, excuse me, would do is divvy up the reward.
1: Yeah, there's no way you can distribute that aspect because that's yeah. actually like the block the the pool operator is is measuring how much hash you're contributing to his pool to divvy that out in the first place.
0: Yes, so this is one thing as Bitcoiners that I would argue we should be pushing for is better hash. Uh, one thing, one I don't want to say con of better hash, but one hurdle that needs to be overcome is that if you are an individual miner, you will have to run your own mine or excuse me, your own node at home on top of your mining node to sort of uh, dictate the uh, the block template. So uh, apparently, right now miners aren't doing that too well. Um, so there's there's definitely going to be ne- better UX at the node level and helping them set them up easier.
1: Well, it goes hand in hand with all the sexy hardware we've seen lately. Exactly. is like hopefully someone, you know, hopefully multiple people, multiple companies will be making like $600 boxes that a miner just plugs in like picks his parameters. Exactly. And it just handles everything for him. Is always on. He doesn't have to worry about it. He just puts it in his farm and it's just, an, you know, he's got... If he's got 400 ASICs all hooked up, you know, he can have a $600 computer right next to it to manage them, right? Exactly. Like, it's not that big. It's not, you know, it's it's more of a... I, I think it's a smaller hurdle than than most hurdles that we face in yeah, Bitcoin.
0: but a hurdle nonetheless. Yeah,
1: and I think that what motivates it, going back to the previous thing, right, is what would really motivate BetterHash is if we have another, you know, big mining pool act out. Like you need people's livelihoods; <laughs> otherwise, the miners will just be apathetic and they won't switch to better ash. Exactly, so it, just, it all goes back to yeah, to people's livelihoods need to be at risk.
0: Yeah, so again, maybe my, yeah, miners will be apathetic until until need be. Which
1: isn't the worst case. If they continue to be apathetic, it means that none of the pools acted out of line. Well, there is one right?
0: thing to take into consideration with BetterHash. Taking into consideration with BetterHash, excuse me, I do believe there is a short window of time in which it can be implemented because it is uh, basically a carrot on the stick problem with the stick getting longer as hash rate grows. So, uh, the faster hash rate grows and the larger hash rate becomes uh, becomes harder to sort of imple- bootstrap a pool with enough hash rate to make a dent. Uh, and create like a pay, payout variance that's profitable for, for individual miners.
1: Well, yeah, because you need, to, for better hash to be actually effective on a network-wide level, you need a, the highest percentage of miners possible, right? Yes.
0: Well, not even that, just to bootstrap it, to, to entice miners to join the pool, you'd have to have a significant amount of hash power, say 3 to 5% uh, to make sure the payout variance is so that miners are remaining profitable or at least aren't losing too much money.
1: Right. So to to expound on variance, what what that means is technically it doesn't matter how big your pool is. Everyone should get paid the same amount. But if your pool is larger, you get paid out more frequently. And because ASICs have a set lifetime where they start becoming obsolete really quickly, if you don't get paid out quickly... You end up losing a ton of money because your miner goes outdated before you, you you get your income back. So you want to, so miners want to get paid as often as possible, and the bigger the pool, the more often you get paid. Exactly. So if if we only have better hash on pools that aren't paying you out that often, then you end up in a situation where no one wants to use that pool.
0: Yeah. So what I would argue there's a bit of urgency here if we want to. Uh lock down this form of decentralization and better hash.
1: But I mean like alternatively like people thought slush pool couldn't come back because they had too little amount, right? But we had all the scaling wars and everything happening. I would argue it's
0: completely different though because you have to... People re-
1: seeded it though, right? People were like, I'll take a hit because I, I'm ideologically motivated. My livelihood's at risk. I don't want Bitcoin to get attacked. So I'm going to join this friendly pool and try and boost... You yeah, know, but again, you there's know. a whole
0: mental rewiring behind like uh, using better hash as a, opposed to stratum like everybody's just used a stratum right now that's it's super simple stratum yeah. is super simple it's just one line yeah um, on your minor config so there there's definitely an education gap there and, I, and again i would stress maybe a little bit of urgency needed so let's get the message out there push for better hash um segue fud you put this on there you want to handle this intro this
1: Oh, I thought I removed it. I didn't want to give them publicity. Okay, we'll they're t- just the same. They've been fighting Segwit for two years now. I have all my Bitcoin and Segwit addresses. They should just, sh- you know, either put up or shut up. Like, steal my money. There's there tons of. There's more money in Segwit addresses than ever before, and it's just all... it's a crock of bullshit.
0: I'm skeptical until proven otherwise.
1: Exactly, as you should be.
0: Um. Cranken compliance report. Um, so Kranken came out with a compliance report and basically proved that in the U.S. in particular, uh, the financial burden and time burden it takes to um, put up the legal fees needed to comply with regulations is a hefty part of their balance sheet. Um, so that was something elusive. We'll, we'll link to that. Matt, do you want to expound upon this at all?
1: This was crazy. I mean, we all kind of knew this was happening, but it's nice. Well, first of all, Jesse Powell's a badass. The
0: CEO, <laughs> the CEO of Kraken. anti-Brian Armstrong.
1: Um, So part of his point was like this is why U.S. customers are blocked from so many Bitcoin services like BitMEX blocks U.S. customers. HODL HODL blocks uh, U.S. customers and because they don't want to deal with this compliance hurdle. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he he posted this. These charts they posted is crazy. Um, 315 requests from the U.S. this year and well last year. And the next biggest one was. UK at 61. And then after that, it just drops off. Who's DE? Denmark? Denmark. They're at 34. But anyway, the U.S. is at 315.
0: Maybe Deutschland.
1: They have the FBI. They have the U.S. Secret Service there asking for stuff. The Department of Justice. The IRS, obviously. The SEC. They're getting requests left and right. And they're supposedly like super broad requests. And... They're just fishing. They're on fishing expeditions. And these exchanges are perfect targets because they have all the user information. They have to do the KYC. And so they have they know everything about you. They know where you're sending the transactions and What everything. does
0: this say about the land of the free? Like, I don't want to sound like a hard-ass here, but like, how free are we as Americans right now? Like, if you were, we're the land of the free and a Bitcoin exchange, like, Ameri- what did you say? The U.S. had 361 request 315 315 the next country was 50 you have a 6x yeah amount and it was
1: the it was the uk the uk is not great about this shit right yeah number two at 61
0: it's perplex. it's perplexing
1: it's kind of like an emperor has no clothes moment right is because you you see it point blank like as as an American, I am disadvantaged in but, the Bitcoin space, right?
0: Yeah, but in a, and I haven't said this on this pod in a while, but it's like frogs boiling in water. Like these are little,
1: it's the apathy all over again. Exactly. Right? It's but that, this, that's the tr- that's exactly. the theme of the pod. A, the this is the, of the theme pot. of
0: today's pod. Is apathy like that? I would argue that should that should shock people. Um,
1: the other big thing is in 2017, they only in 2016 they had 71 requests worldwide. In 2017, they had 160 requests. And in 2018, they had 475 requests. So it's accelerating as the price goes up naturally.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Um, Yes, we'll be following that. Shout out to Crankin. And Crankin, I I think they said they're, I mean, they they fight these requests as ardently as possible to to protect their users' privacy. Um, Yeah, they
1: try their best, but they have U.S. banking relationships. I imagine they comply with most of them. Yeah. Um and then the other thing is is this is another perfect example of why privacy is so important um and using the privacy tools we have at our availability right now which the the main one that's user friendly is Wasabi. So, you know, if you're a Kraken user if you're an exchange user when you when you transfer if, when you buy bitcoin on an exchange and transfer it out to your address, the exchange knows that address and they can use that information to then figure out all your other transactions that happen after that fact. So if you use something like Wasabi, you can help break that, that blockchain trail. So it makes it way more difficult for them to track it. And, and, Oh, so like, I don't care if cash app knows where my transactions are going. Well, I do care, but I'm saying like thought experiment. I don't care about that. Yeah, but they have to comply with government requests and stuff. So you never know where this information is going. They suck at security, the government. So like all that information can get in the wrong hands. Then you have some criminal knows exactly how much Bitcoin you have, what transactions you make. Like, that's a huge issue. So you have to, if you don't care about your privacy, like, no one else will. And I, I think people should use Wasabi as a middle ground in between the exchange and whatever wallet they're storing in, whether that's a hardware wallet, cold storage, hot wallet, whatever.
0: Yeah, I uh, completely concur with that line of thinking. And then when you, once that happens, if you want to take it a step further uh, and take your personal sovereignty to the next level, uh, recommend checking out the Nodle. Noddle.it. it. They just sent us a free node. It came to your house. I haven't seen it yet. How's it looking?
1: It's a pretty sexy piece of hardware. They did send it to us for free, so disclosure. Um, our integrity is not for sale. We will be just as hard. On, we're going to be more hard on them than we usually are on, on most things. Um, I'm very excited. It's been a very promising project. I really like the team there. I become friends with them, uh, and so you know. So we're going to run it through its paces. I'm actually going away. I'm gonna be recording remotely for the next podcast, which is one of the good reasons I bought that nice mic so you guys can, can hear us well. And when I get back we're gonna give you a nice full rundown review. And our, our plan is actually like it's like maybe we'll use this as the TFTC node, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's our that's the vision I have in mind.
1: The cool thing about the Nautilus is it runs BTC page server, it runs all these other things in addition to Lightning and, and Bitcoin. I think it
0: comes with Asabi too, right?
1: It might be the plan. I'm not sure if it's there yet. Anyway, yeah. I haven't run through the paces yet, right? So yeah. we'll talk about all this, but shout out to them for sending it to us. They sent us 40 stickers. We got uh, 21 Genesis block stickers, which is a nice touch. There's Very a Genes- sexy sticker. There's a Genesis block sticker on the side of it.
0: They gave us some yellow vests. We have some yellow vests here in the States. If we ever want to incite some... Uh some protests in the streets yeah marty
1: met them when he was in when he was in paris yeah shout and out they gave us a uh, yellow vest that say noddle it on it if you want to talk
0: about a team that is uh true to the ethos and the core of bitcoin uh the noddle the noddle team from what i can glean from my i don't know if they're trying to dupe us they're badass I, I don't think they are but i don't think they are their their intentions are pure in my mind
1: but don't trust verify exactly
0: and they would tell you that they're actually saying that like has anybody ever they were like asking me has anybody ever audited wasabi i was like i don't know
1: But the package was actually really funny because it doesn't say don't trust verify. It says don't trust ver, which I thought was a nice little homage. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, so that is uh, not all it. And we're going to pause here for an ad. A mid-read. This is an ad I think you freaks are going to like. Justin Moon, he's been on this podcast episode 53, I believe. Uh, His buildle boot camp. They're starting another class, I believe, the 21st. So it's an online Bitcoin programming course. If you guys listened to Justin's episode, uh, you've definitely learned a lot about it. He's iterated on it. It's been getting bigger, teaching a lot of people. This next course, um, what they're going to focus on first, you're going to build a miniature implementation of Bitcoin and Python with all the major features, peer-to-peer networking, Nakamoto consensus, monetary policy, and more. Deploy the network along with your classmates. Build some simple infrastructure for it and exchange exchange in a mining pool, excuse me, and practice attacking it. Second, program the real Bitcoin to Peer network, connect to your peers, send and receive messages, write a crawler that can visit every public node in the network, implement naive headers first, initial block download, and build a space, excuse me, a basic SPV client. And then third, you're going to build a hardware wallet with MicroPython firmware, just like Trezor, generate seed words, create HD wallets, construct and sign transactions, and lastly, build a project of your own choosing. Justin, that was a mouthful of a read that I did not look over before I read it. But he's clearly not a marketer. He's not, but the course sounds incredible. If he's you guys, if you guys are developers out there, it's a remote course. It Starts January 21st, and it will repeat monthly throughout 2019. It's um, so a completion of an introductory Python programming course. is the only prerequisite. Visit buildbootcamp.com to learn more. That's b-u-i-d-l, b-o-o-t-c-a-m-p.com. Biddle bootcamp. The D and the L are switched. Like huddle. Like huddle. Um, shout out Justin. Check out that episode had, if you have
1: Yeah, it. we had ju- you had Justin on the pod as well. That was an epic. That was an epic. That was a drunk one. We went on for like two and a half hours. up. I, I was so hammered. jealous. You never get that drunk with me, Marty.
0: Well, we will. We need to do like a an outside the rabbit hole recap, uh, recap, if you will.
1: There you go, Marty. Marty told me that he wasn't going to drink today, but nonetheless, nevertheless, he's drinking with me right now. So cheers to that.
0: Don't tell me a thbosa. Um yeah so shout out noddle and we're gonna keep giving shout outs. shout out to satoshi's place uh we put up an ad so satoshi's place holding my hand up here didn't make my first lightning transaction until a couple weeks ago first transaction was some graffiti on satoshi's place and it was details from the crypt uh billboard a uh, little ad there thought it was cool cost me like 40 cents uh and i was just proud to see that it stayed up there for a week without being bastardized with it's any still dicks up, right it's it's been a little it's been it's has been, it been defaced? Do we have a dick on it? It's been it? defaced a little bit, but the whole the whole wow. page has been. Uh, no dicks, just uh, some squiggly lines. It
1: was pretty it was pretty impressive because for the longest time it was not only was it not defaced, it was improved on. Yeah, it's
0: still it's there. It's Still
1: pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty it's still good. Still visible. So I mean not only shout out to Satoshi's place, shout out to the the random freaks out there. The that maintenance are, freaks. Yeah, that are maintaining it and improving it and
0: you but, know Oh wait. We do have a dick on it. That's bad. Did there's someone? A, there's a dick coming onto the to the T. To the
1: no, but that's not. It's it's, it's coming it's,
0: out of Donald Trump, though.
1: It, yeah, it's technically an adjacent dick that yes. just happens to be slightly overlapping. Hey. Um. Hopefully, we're not incentivizing people to go draw dicks on our <laughs> <laughs> on our little TFTC poster up there. But um, shout out to whoever's maintaining that. We really appreciate you, and and that's why we do this shit. We love you, freaks.
0: Yeah. And shout out uh, Lightning Koala for making that online graffiti. It is a uh, 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 very steady source of a, at least one chuckle a day.
1: A fun little test case for the Lightning Network. Exactly. And a great pr-
0: if you haven't made a Lightning transaction yet and you want to make your first one, highly recommend starting at Satoshi's place. Satoshi's dot place. Um, Bitmain founders, rumored to be stepping down. New CEO inbound. Apparently they lost $1.2 billion last year. You
1: come at the king you best not miss. I in our last episode, I made a pretty or no, two episodes ago, uh not the live episode, but our last not live episode, I made the bold prediction that I think bitmain will be the last uh 51% real 51% risk that that we have with bitcoin and you know, this is extremely this is extremely bullish for bitcoin they they attacked they attacked us and they got caught holding major bitcoin cash bags they got and they just the market turned on them and a, as it should right? the
0: icarus story of crypto they will be bitmain will go down as the icarus of crypto uh, the first 10 years i believe um but yeah shout out to what is a btc king 555 is that his uh
1: yeah i think that sounds right
0: um there's some anon the leaker guy there's some anon leaker on twitter He's well, probably
1: part of Bilderberg, though.
0: He might be, or AXA, one of the two. Um, but he's been calling us out. People have been calling him out, but he's been pretty, I'm pretty sure he's been pretty accurate up to this point in time.
1: Some hit or misses, you know. Yeah. This is still a rumor, FYI. We're not sure here. This is.
0: Yeah, we're not sure. This, this is, is all speculation. This is still
1: speculation. So.
0: So we could. This could be. We could have got duped.
1: Who knows? I mean, it was, I think it's it a Chinese a Chinese newspaper broke it, so maybe their source is BTC King. You never know.
0: We shall find out. Um only time will tell. We'll see if that IPO ever gets off the ground.
1: Oh, but Bitmain did lay off a shit ton of people. So we know they're hurting. Their IPO has been stalled. They're they're definitely hurting. That is not a rumor. The question is, do the two founders, Jihan and um Zhao? is oh. the other guy. Uh he's less he he actually owns more of the company, but he's less Zan. public. Zahn. Zahn. Yes. Um they're su- they're supposedly stepping down,
0: Yeah. well so speaking of layoffs so we talk about market sentiment and where we are maybe in this bear market a lot of uh, a lot of layoffs shapeshift had around layoffs
1: thirty seven people they they fired mm-hmm. which is about thirty percent of their staff
0: yeah and they had uh and that was due to a, a, a I think they released the numbers after they instituted kyc their volume just plummeted so
1: well, they didn't they actually have the numbers on their website mm-hmm. for the 24 hour i mean you can see it all on the blo- the respective blockchains as well um, they didn't blame it all on kyc a lot of people are saying you know they're an altcoin, they're multi coin business um, so they they get hurt more in bear markets uh multi coin businesses rather than bitcoin focused slow businesses that are like slow and steady bootstrap type of businesses um, but kyc is the real hurdle here the whole the whole value prop of shapeshift was they took no information from you and it was relatively frictionless. You know, it was just super simple and relatively fast to use. You didn't have to have an account or anything like that. The second they implemented KYC, there's all these competitors that don't. And, you know, we saw bisque get huge volumes. BISC
0: uh, changely was one for a little bit. I think they implemented KYC they, since. no,
1: they have, quasi KYC, like if you send a large amount of Monero, they might hold your funds Mm -hmm. and KYC you at that point, which is almost even worse. Uh, But then you have smaller competitors, like one is like FlipMe, F-L-Y-P dot me. They don't require KYC. Like, these little companies that pop up with non-founders are like way easier for them to, you know, skirt these laws. And, And Shapeshift really can, I don't think they can ever unless they do like a full on pivot to a completely different business, like their core business is dead. Like with KYC, it's useless. It's like absolutely like some people still use it, but the majority of the users are never coming back.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. And they
1: had no choice. Like they, yeah, they, they were mean, forced to bend the knee. Like, like Eric Voorhees is, has always been a staunch anti-government libertarian. That's, libertarian. that's a
0: crazy thing is like, he said, a so, you know, they prize. put his livelihood at risk. Yeah. They
1: were like, we're going to fuck you. <laughs> and like he had no choice. Like so, I'm not angry at Eric. No. Um, his other option was probably lose everything and end up in jail. Yeah. But you know, maybe you should just close it all down. Because yeah, yeah. there's just no point. And just cut your losses. He has shareholders and stuff. People say you have shareholder, you know, fiduciary duty to them to act in their best interest. And you know, shutting it down wouldn't be in their. I think actually, shutting it down might be in their best interest. Just liquidate it all, pay them out, and you know, maybe start fresh on something new.
0: Yeah, and Eric's a very good writer. That actually, the post that he wrote announcing it was very eloquent, and maybe he could maybe he could contribute more to like a like Bitcoin, like writing about Bitcoin and stuff like that. I don't know.
1: I I think that ship has sailed, but we'll see.
0: Well, we shall see. Um, but again, staying on the layoff theme and where we are in capitulation, I think we've talked about in the past. But consensus uh, had massive layoffs as well. Um, they're cut down. Uh, I bring them up though. Just a segue to the Constantinople hard fork and what Ethereum's going to do. Um,
1: Consensus with the Y, the Ethereum juggernaut yes. led by Joe Lubin.
0: Yes. Um, so they had layoffs. They've consolidated, um, and actually, we can talk about one of their portfolio companies. Infura was in the news today. Um, they run a lot of the Ethereum nodes that are run on the Ethereum network are run via Infura via AWS. So a very centralizing factor. I would argue
1: both on the AWS side and on the first side. And if is based in Brooklyn, AWS is based in Seattle or whatever. Um, Yeah. So
0: you go into the nitty gritty -gritty details. You're better at this stuff than me.
1: I mean, the whole value prop of all this stuff is quasi legal, right? Censorship resistance. That's why you're using it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason a prediction market doesn't exist where you can bet on us elections is because they're illegal. So, If you have these central points of failure, specifically if they're based in the United States, then when you put that into your threat model, like that's ridiculous. Like like literally they just have to pressure Joe Lubin. Like Joe Lubin gets off a plane and they like bring him somewhere. And they're like, dude, like Or Jeff Bezos. You gotta shut down Yeah, or maybe that's why he got divorced, you know? Maybe they were like, You gotta (laughs) stop running the Infura notes.
0: Honey, I don't like it. Certainly, the environment. <laughs> they
1: got into a fight about it. She was a maximalist, and she's like, no, you can't do that. <laughs>
0: she's, whew. From uh, married to the richest man to the richest woman in the world. But
1: they both, like, people should give her a little bit more credit. Like, they launched it together and stuff. That's um, true. But, uh, and she's, like, really smart as well. Yeah, anyway. I, I don't know
0: much about the relationship. Yeah,
1: basically. I mean, neither do I. Just, he had a really good commencement speech. I forget what his alma mater is, and I watched the commencement speech, like, four years ago, and he talks about how he started the company. I mean, we're kind of going on a tangent, but he started the company. I like tangents. And they both they both went to like Stanford or wherever he went. They went. I think they went together. Then they were both in finance, and they both left their nice paying finance jobs to start an online bookstore. And everyone thought they were crazy, you know. And they like kind of, you know, not necessarily bootstrapped it, but like they like worked their asses off in the beginning. So like in a lot of ways, they were very much partners. So you know, you shouldn't discount people. Sh- I'm not accusing you, but people a lot are are saying like, oh. Now he's she's taking half of his net worth. You know, like they built it together. But anyway. There Thanks for was, that
0: history lesson, Matt. I did not know that. Yeah, I was talking about it yesterday.
1: But yeah, the commencement speech is really good. Maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. Maybe we won't. But if you just search Jeff Bezos commencement speech in YouTube, really, really good commencement speech.
0: And uh, I
1: like commencement speeches. They're pretty good. I do. The I good mean, ones.
0: I didn't like mine. but um, yeah. I didn't like mine either, but I <laughs> like other people's commencement speeches
1: because you get to pick and choose, right? Like there's like probably like, eight to 12 really good commencement speeches. Those are awesome.
0: Yeah. And, uh, whether or not you have good or bad things to say about, uh, Amazon, they're a perfect example of low time preference, getting shit done, being patient and just waiting for the market to accrue around it. So very good case study, uh, for Bitcoiners who are uh, expecting a technology to take decades to, to come to fruition.
1: And the other thing is, so like back to the central point of failure, go, let's go back to Infura. Um, you know AWS won't host gab right mm-hmm. bang you know there you go proof um so so that's an issue that's a it's a major issue not only do they c- control presumably the majority of the nodes now we're not even just saying that the infura ceo brags about it and <laughs> not only do they control the majority of nodes they the, the main nodes the ones that like metamask and all the major dapps use are almost all in infura so you know that's part of the reason why not only does Lubin presumably own a large percent of Ethereum, and have investments in many many of the companies that dominate the Ethereum space. He one of those companies in Fura, and they control a ton of nodes. So this is a huge huge not only central point of failure, but he has massive control over the the, the direction Ethereum decides to take. Right? Yeah, the
0: whole ecosystem. And I got a peek into their transition to ETH 2.0 and my God. Um, I'm interested to see how it goes.
1: Yeah. I mean, that I think is too far off. It's important not to start speculating on far things for Ethereum because they just change their mind every four months and then they like scream at us and they're like, but you didn't see the new thing we're doing instead. you like, do you not follow it? It's like it's ridiculous. How am I supposed to follow it? Like you shouldn't be miners. And users and business owners need to make long-term financial decisions. You can't just keep changing what's going to happen.
0: Um, Stop in a blink nonsense, of an eye. Matthew.
1: And that's a good transition to the prague Pow fork.
0: Well, wait, we're not done there.
1: We're not done with Constantinople yet. No, we're not, not done with Inferior yet.
0: Well, yeah. Well, uh, okay. Blank there for a little bit, but yes. Well, and Infura on a point of objectivity. Let's be objective here. Apparently, they're working on ways of decentralizing Infura. And there are decentralized alternatives that Ethereum enthusiasts are suggesting. So definitely seek those out if you're running an app through I don't Infura. think
1: they're necessary. De- the idea is that other companies should offer Infura-like services. So if you take down one of them, and they'll be located in different areas. Like, It's not like it someone sense. figured out they're how to hold, do it. They're all
0: holding the same data.
1: Right. But it's not like if you had like a company in Slovenia that also ran Ethereum full nodes for people, then, you know, you need the Slovenian government to go after them and the U.S. government. So it's not like there's like this new technology where they figured out how to decentralize that. Right. No. Um, and like from Infura's point of view, like, OK, maybe we won't run it all in AWS. Maybe we'll run it, you know, some of it in just a, <laughs> a different server company. Right. Yeah. Like we'll run some of it on Azure or whatever. I don't know.
0: Yeah, interesting. So we'll be following that and transition to Constantinople.
1: So Constantinople, what is that, the 15th or the 16th or something? 16th, I believe.
0: Uh, 16th is the estimate right now. It depends on block time. Yeah, so that's like the
1: upcoming Ethereum fork. They're going to slash minor rewards. Um, I think they're like like fudging with the difficulty bomb or something.
0: Yeah, they're pushing it back a little bit more.
1: Yeah. I, I Again. Yeah, so the difficulty bomb is like the idea is that if you don't get rid of it, like it becomes completely unprofitable to mine blocks so like forces miners into forking and like creates a fork incentive where you not continue the main chain i think it's like a pretty useless mechanism because in any kind of situation where you actually like hit up on that difficulty block like difficulty bomb miners will just fork out the difficulty bomb it's like the easiest consensus ever uh yeah and that that's their business is like why would they why would they just sit there they were obviously just fork it out so it just creates this, like, forced attack vector type. When you have a hard fork, there's attack vector exactly. there. Exactly,
0: and it, it, not only a forced attack vector, but a forced precedent that you set by pushing it back. You just basically set a precedent, like, hey, we're willing to change this on a whim. Um, like, it, just from, a, like, a, an initial design perspective, that makes no sense to me. So
1: they decided on the 33% decrease in, in block reward, I think, like, five months ago or six months ago or something? So Less fall. So, like, imagine, like, you're a miner and you spent all this money securing the Ethereum network. You know, you're not doing it out of the goodness of your heart. You're doing it to make money. But you're also kind of doing it because you're ideologically motivated. You know, most of these miners are ideologically motivated. And then they just, like, pull the rug out from under you. They're like, oh, we, we want to transition to proof of stake, so we're just going to lower your reward. You know, like, that's a little bit ridiculous. Like, every time you fuck with miners... Like, they're less likely to invest more in protecting your network and, like, don't bite the hand that feeds you, right?
0: Yeah. And so, like, so that's just one aspect of it. So that's the first aspect is the the cut-in uh, block reward. The second aspect is, I believe it's six months after Constantinople did January 16th Hard Fork. They're going to institute, what is it, Pro or... ProgPo's separate. Progpo, yeah, it's completely separate. But it does hinder miners as well they are making so
1: investments. So ProgPo, they announced... Like what, like two weeks ago or something like that? Recently. Um, Prague Pow is basically, just to sum it up, is they want to fork out ASICs, you know, similar to what Monero did, um, kind of similar to what Sia did. I don't know if you remember our rabbit hole recap episodes. Or impossible to forget. <laughs> I got obsessed with Sia um, forking them out. I thought this was, this debate was over. ASICs are super important. They make, they enhance the loose game theory that secures these networks because. The hardware becomes, that if, if you have hardware that's specific to your chain, attacking the network renders that hardware either worth less or completely worthless. So it, it makes the attack way more difficult. And if you don't have general purpose hardware, it's way harder to acquire large amounts of it to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, so people should embrace ASICs. I have a great thread on, on that. I actually said today, I was like, I feel like, Ethereum stakeholders should pay me for all this free advice I give them. Like maybe I should just shut up and just let them fuck up their network even more, so it just comes to an end quicker. But I like highlighting this stuff because I think it's important case studies for Bitcoin. Um, this is like a it's a really good tangent for like ETC got uh, Ethereum Classic got 50, Ooh, we haven't talked about
0: attacked the, we haven't talked about this yet. Jump into that. And well, they didn't. They got they got um what is it? Uh, Cascade attacked.
1: No, no, no. It looks like they got. Did
0: they get both? They got tacked both ways. The Ethereum developer community <laughs> is—they don't even know—so
1: small that, and like so non-existent that they can't even give any definitive answers. Ethereum around Classic, it. yeah, it's just like. But anyway, Ethereum Classic uses the same mining algorithm as Ethereum eth-hash. so Ethereum Asics can mine Ethereum Classic. And GPUs can as well. That created a situation where Ethereum Classic is super easy to attack. So this is a almost, it's like a warning sign for what Ethereum might face if they fork out their ASICs. Because then you only have GPUs mining.
0: and which are easier to attain.
1: Yeah, and then once you use the general purpose hardware to attack Ethereum, you can just switch to a rival chain that uses it. And your hardware isn't...
0: Isn't bricked. Yeah, your hardware isn't bricked. Yeah. um, Yeah, so, and there was a miner in particular. I forget who it was. Sorry for uh, this fact slipping my mind right now. But they basically came out and said, hey, I just put a multi-million dollar... Four
1: million dollars. It was Lindsay, I think, or something. Lindsay High. Yeah, something like that. I don't know that. how to pronounce it.
0: Um, but they it basically came out and said, hey, like, are you ever going to have a discussion with us? Like, I just spent four million dollars to come protect your network and... I'm going to be bricked in 6 months.
1: Specifically, they spent 4 million dollars to develop a new Eth hash ASIC. Yes. And now that Eth hash ASIC might not be worth anything mm-hmm. if uh progpow gets implemented. And like I I personally one of the speculations I have is that you know, ETC has been super cheap to attack for a long time and it looks like we had a preliminary report out of a Chinese company that I guess their business model is they track these chains and they issue warnings to exchanges to give them a heads up. Like looks like there's a attack going on on Ethereum Classic Um, and they release a report and it looks like all the attacks failed to actually steal any. So the way you would steal money from these exchanges is you send them Ethereum Classic. Then you exchange it for uh, like a a token uh, for Bitcoin or another (coughs) coin and then you withdraw the bitcoin and the other coin and then as soon as that happens you as soon as that happens you reorg the ethereum classic chain so that original deposit never happened you get basically free money um, that's how the attack happens and it looks like none of the exchanges actually lost any money from it so maybe one of my speculations is that ethereum is like try like ethereum stakeholders are attacking Ethereum Classic to try and dissuade miners like Lin that created these Asics from switching over to ETC because they have the same mining algorithm. Like when that happens,
0: we got a hot Matt Odell theory right now.
1: But I think that that is a a misnomer anyway. Like that's a that's a bad even if that's the reason they did it. That's dumb because uh, Ethereum miners that that are against this progpow change to fork out Asics. Would be more likely to just not follow the Prague Powell fork and continue mining the regular Ethereum chain. Uh, maybe fork out the difficulty bomb because that'd be the super easy consensus. Like, why would they switch to ETC? ETC is a dead chain. It's trending long term to zero. The only reason we're talking about ETC right now is because it's a really good case study on POW assumptions and like you know what you what you should know about it.
0: Yeah, can we give uh, play devil's advocate here? Give a, a pro of uh, Prague POW.
1: No, there's no pro. You just embrace ASICs. Uh, I mean, their argument So their argument is that if we get rid of the ASICs now, that when we switch to proof of stake, it'll be less likely the miners revolt at that point. They won't be as powerful. Yeah. Airplane. That's a dumb, it's a dumb argument. You should just embrace ASICs.
0: Again, I've said this for a while. Uh, Ethereum is the epitome of Gaul's Law. Uh, they started with a system based out of complexity, and it is impossible I would argue, and many others would argue to to get to a, a steady state system when you when you start so complex out of the box. We're uh hour and six minutes in here. It's a long rip. Are we really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we got one more topic left. Uh, or did we already talk about the Monero ransom? No, we didn't. All right. So in, Nor- in Norway, uh, there's a bunch of kidnappers holding, uh, I believe- some high prominent person's wife hostage for Monero. $10 million. $10 million. Monero. There's some conspiracy theories out there that these are just Monero holders looking to get an exit pump in.
1: That's what I like. I like that theory. That's the only reason I put it in
0: there. Let's not forget there's somebody who's uh, been kidnapped. Um,
1: I know, but it's just, it would be the first time that it was like a kidnapped, kidnapped pump. Yeah. You know, because, so the argument is that you can't really, you know, the idea is that, oh, Monero is, is, relatively anonymous so you can easily uh take that ransom and spend it but 10 million dollars with the monero is a large amount of the supply yeah. so like it'd be really hard to hide that amount so someone speculated that maybe they already hold monero and they just want the news to pump it <laughs> uh which i just thought was interesting to note but Gotta- cryptocurrency ransoms will be more likely whether that's in bitcoin or monero or anything else um because it's just the ideal ransom. Um, And this is another perfect example where people say like, oh, Bitcoin holders are more at risk for kidnappings. Maybe in the beginning, but it's getting to the point where it doesn't matter if you own cryptocurrency. The people doing the ransom just assume that you can get your hands on $10 million worth of Monero or Bitcoin. So it doesn't matter. Just all rich people are going to be more likely to get kidnapped because we have like a really great ransom money now.
0: This is a beautiful future you're envisioning here. It is what it is.
1: When you have better money, you know, that's what happens.
0: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Hopefully, it's uh, more peaceful. I'm hoping. I'm optimistic. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a great rep. I think we covered a lot there. Um, it's great to be back in person, one-on-one. It was a little nerve-wracking last week. I haven't spoken in front of a group ever like that.
1: Yeah, I, I was I was both nervous and excited. I think it came out pretty well, all things considered. It was a fun night.
0: Yeah, and no, that crowd was very involved. Uh, Shout-out to... Uh, Jay and Aaron from uh, the Coin Pod or Coin, Coin Talk. Talk, Coin Talk, excuse me. Uh, they uh, they had a very interesting uh, open talking about Satoshi and and particularly the writings of Satoshi and trying to break that down. Um, fascinating stuff. So Definitely go check that out as well. Shout out to Iterative for putting that together. Shout out to our sponsors, Blockfi and the Biddle Bootcamp. And Matt's got more more to say.
1: I actually had my. First ever sober podcast with uh, Pete McCormick on what Bitcoin did, which you guys should check out. Very uh, good. I
0: listened to it while I was in bed suffering from food poisoning. <laughs> and it was uh, very good. He sat I'm down. honored. I'm yeah. honored. You, Peter, and, and Neil Woodfine was on that episode. Neil yeah, was-
1: Neil's great. We had a great chat. It was a really good time. We talked about what we, we, had, we were hoping for in, in store for 2019. Um, you had a very similar pod with Pete before that. People should check out. The other thing is I'm pretty sure it's not only was it my first sober pod, I'm pretty sure it was Pete's first explicit pod because even though I was sober, I still dropped a couple of bombs, a couple shits.
0: We have yet to, uh, to have an explicit podcast on the iTunes store to date. So
1: we don't mark any of ours explicit. Not yet. So please don't report us guys. That would be fucked up.
0: All you haters out there. Oh, no, looking I, for I didn't even factor. mean to.
1: I cursed while I said that.
0: <laughs> um, Yeah, no, it was a great week. Uh, Thank you, Freaks, for joining us. If you like what we're talking about, please rate, share, subscribe. Trying to blow this up. We got big plans for 2019. Uh, We're going to take this to the next level. Um, Appreciate you guys for staying along. Again, thank you guys for coming out. Who did last week here in New York? Peace and love.
1: R.I.P. Hal. Long live Bitcoin. R.I.P. Hal. Can't wait to unfreeze your ass.